Hello everyone, it's Laura Lebo here inviting you to check out my podcast, A Few of My Favorite Jews. Every two weeks, I invite an artist from the city of Toronto to come on and tell me who their favorite Jew is. We talk about that Jew's life, their connection to Judaism, my guest connection to Judaism, and we just laugh. <laughs> so if you love Jews and you love listening to exactly two people talk about them for about an hour, you're going to love my podcast, A Few of My Favorite Jews. Malachem, listeners, uh, Boker Tov, if it's in the morning, and Lila Tov, if it's in the evening, you're here with the Menschwarmers. Alechem Sholem, Gabe. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to the Menschwarmers, your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports. Um, happy to be with you. Got some great feedback on our last po- podcast uh, interview with Andrew Axler of Lost Tribe Esports. Um, you know, Gabe, I think we, we can count ourselves as part of the sort of, you know, next generation of internet savvy Jews trying to create uh, Jewish content online, right? I think we're probably the first generation of internet savvy Jews. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the next generation of Jews who, ha- <laughs> who happen who to be internet, internet savvy. savvy. I think, I I think, think so. T- getting our TikTok off the ground will definitely be like uh, the ultimate, uh, you know, millennials trying to be hip with Gen Z and uh, we'll have to come up with some ideas for that. Tell me you like Ian Kinsler without telling me that you like Ian Kinsler. Yeah, exactly. Very extremely niche audience. But from what I understand of TikTok is like, it's extreme. It's very, very good at finding the niche audience for the niche product. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like, like if, if our, uh, no computer can find our fans like TikTok can presumably. Yeah, exactly. Like I know um, like, personally not that i use it that much but like i do get served a fair amount of jewish content without having like told tiktok i'm jewish but like you ever taken a photo of yourself yeah (laughs) that's true i mean i've told tiktok i'm jewish without telling tiktok i'm jewish yeah exactly uh uh, tell Um, me you're jewish but it's here it's finally here what's finally here it's uh shavuos on monday got any plans oh shavuos um that's the cheese one right yes yeah, that's that's you, cheese. You make, you're baking a cheesecake oh that sounds like a great opportunity a great excuse to make a cheesecake that like you know it's so hard um i know like early in the pandemic there's a lot of baking and it was like back, you know, back when saying, the pandemic was fun back when the pandemic was fun it was like you know i'll finally watch the sopranos not me personally i've watched the sopranos before but lots of people were like i'll finally watch the sopranos and like you know learn how to make sourdough and now it's like just like oh no i have this gross sourdough starter in the back of my fridge there's a lot of tiktok about pandemic baking and the sopranos right. so if we can get in that in that uh, uh you know content farm that would be great the um the problem with baking i find though is that it's just like whatever you have is just ends up being a lot it's like all mass cooking now for for like if, it, if it's just two like just me and my wife and our our one-year-old who doesn't really con- contribute to the eating part as much is she excited for the shavuos cheesecake <laughs> if, if we gave our daughter cheesecake she would she would almost have, she would love it it's like the perfect texture for her she loves loves the soft foods like anything anything like banana or softer is, is just perfect you'll see uh when you get there um, yeah, so far, so far, my baby only eats what my wife eats, but very indirectly. Um, well, maybe I will make a cheesecake, but again, it's just like, but then I'd have this whole cheesecake and like, I, I, I'm fat enough already, I would say I can get fatter though, despite that. And it's just There's like eating, eating 85% of a cheesecake, which is what would happen if I made a cheesecake, you know, is, is not going to help, help with the whole health thing. So, well, I didn't think last year when I made my Shavuos cheesecake in 2020, 
Never once did I think I'll be making a Shavuos cheesecake still in quarantine in 2021. But here we are. But here we are. I think it doesn't, fr- I feel like cheesecake doesn't freeze that well. Maybe it does. They do sell frozen cheesecakes. I feel like the, like the ability to freeze something like half a loaf of something or, you know, like half your batch of cookies or something like that, that helps. Yes. Although my- I feel... I feel like Jews are are particularly adept at freezing baked goods. Like that is something I've heard, especially like freezing bread is not something yes. that's necessarily done my, much outside of the My entire community. life, anytime my mother made cookies or I made cookies as a kid or anyone made us cookies, they always lived in the fridge. In the fridge or the freezer? Uh, either. But usually like, like they would be hot, you know, for an hour. And then immediately they'd go into the fridge and you need them straight out of the fridge for the rest of the, the rest of the cookies life. See, I guess we were always a family, a, fa- a fridge family, a freezer family. Sorry. And now I have a, a spare freezer in, our, in the basement. So it's like, you know, there's no fridge room, but there's lots of freezer room. So I, maybe up the goods. Jews are just so excited to have refrigeration that we overuse it for everything. <laughs> maybe. Coming up later, I was just going to say we have a, a great interview with uh, Nate Fish, the self-proclaimed uh, king of Jewish baseball. He talks who's to, who's talks that really good fish baseball guy? Yeah. The really um, famous one. Uh, you mean Mike Trout? No, Nate Fish. We got Nate Fish on the show. We we got the uh, the Jewish version of Mike Trout, one, one might say, um, <laughs> as far as that goes. Um, Nate talked to us a lot about the goings on at uh, uh, the Israel Team Israel Baseball, which he's joined or, or will be joining very shortly. He's been involved uh, the in the camp. program for a long time. He's uh, yeah. about to head out to training camp in Arizona shortly. Um, you know, traditionally, this is when Jews tend to leave Arizona the warmer months, but uh, uh, Nate has decided to go there. Uh, I, from what I understand, specifically for the purpose of complaining about the heat. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, have you ever been to Arizona in the summertime? No, my dad has. Apparently it's like Canada is in the winter in that like you spend your whole time figuring out how to stay inside. Right. And it's like going outside for short bursts, but, you know, not often. Certainly. Yeah, the... the Apparently, Arizona, Phoenix didn't really explode as a city until the invention of air conditioning. Right. Same with the, same with a lot of the Southwest, from what I understand. But um, the Israel baseball team's out there. They're, you know, doing training. Um, I saw something earlier today that they are planning some uh, some exhibition games and with a with an independent team or, or some league team in, in Susquehanna, Susquehanna, like somewhere in Lehigh Valley or somewhere around there. Yeah, they're going um, around the country. They're playing games in Pittsburgh, El Paso, sort of. I think picking up players as they go along, in order in order to join the team. And it's an interesting makeup we've got this year. They're sort of adding players bit by bit. Um, most recently added and most of interesting, you know, to me um, is from sort of the San Francisco area, uh, DJ Shirabi, uh, who not only is is you know probably the only Mizrahi player on the team, but is absolutely probably, yeah. probably uh is is the only uh modern orthodox guy on the team oh interesting he's sort of uh, a, a hmm. daily to fill in guy wow well i'm sure they'll have to figure out uh i don't know getting kosher meals in japan i don't know how difficult that is i mean it's it's a lot of um i feel like japan has everything or like there's definitely a chabad in tokyo that will, will for hook, sure hook him up do you that would think- be an interesting uh thing to look into how, how the you know special meals for uh, people with religious uh, needs are, are dealt with at the Olympics. I, I have no idea about that. Well, there's definitely a lot of halal players who keep halal or, or athletes yeah, who sure. keep halal in the summer Olympics, you know, your, your Iranian weightlifters and so on and so forth. Oh, um, yeah. But uh, you know, according to something that the uh, Jewish news in Northern California wrote about hometown DJ Sharabi is that he just eats vegetarian on the road. 
Um, that makes sense. I, I know a lot of kosher people do that. It's just sort of like better safe than sorry, or or it's exactly. the best you can do in, in a lot of places. I it's mean, the, sort of I've the always easiest thing. But Japan, I think, is tough because I well, I guess okay. First of all, fish is uh, is parv, which which would yeah, help him. But that's true. Uh, he could probably eat a lot of fish in, in Japan. Although yeah. there's probably shrimp in a lot of stuff, or fish oil in a that's lot of true. stuff that would have more shrimp that he couldn't necessarily eat. That's true. That's tricky because I've always uh, wanted to go to Japan, but as a vegetarian, I've always been concerned about like just there being fish and everything. So, well, I I guess I'm, that's I'm curious to, to know how they'll do it. I I mean, DJ obviously, we'd love to chat with him and see. Uh, you know, how he's figuring it out. Um, I'm wondering, I'd like to ask him if uh, to fill in counts as a foreign substance on his hand <laughs> as he's pitching. I don't think so. It doesn't leave a, it doesn't leave a resin, you know, it's not like pine tar. I don't know. There's probably, you could put, you could probably sneak some like sticky leather gum onto the to fill in. And as you take it off your hands, it, it stays there. That'd be pretty funny if you saw him wrapping to fill in like between innings, um, you know, coming out and he just had an emergency to fill in wrapping and, uh, <laughs> Just explain, yeah, explain to people as you know, oh, it's part of his religion without explaining that, you know, he didn't actually need to do it right at this moment, but there it goes. I wonder um, if, if he could use a little box on his head as like a, a intimidation tactic. That's an interesting point. I don't know if anyone's uh, actually pitched a, a, a full inning of baseball with the phylactery on their head, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't <laughs> shock me if some, some yeshiva uh, team has, has made that happen. I think that's, that's like chapter three of uh, Chaim Putox the Chosen. If memory yes, serves. that's right. When I, or or uh, the uh, Shul baseball game and Portnoy's complaint. <laughs> right. We don't we don't talk enough about Chaim Putux the Chosen. Uh, you know, really the <laughs> the the ur text of of religious uh, Judaism and, and baseball. And, I think uh, so. I think so. I remember in the movie The Hebrew Hammer, uh, Adam Goldberg's character was dealing videotapes out of the back of his truck, bootlegs. Right. And the kids could either choose Yentl or Chaim Potox the Chosen. Those are the two tapes he had. Those, those are, yeah, those are the sort of two foundational, two foundational movies of uh, uh, Jewish movies of the 70s and 80s, I guess. I'm not so sure exactly when the Chosen one. A- anyways. Roughly, um, let's, let's move from sort of a Papa Can You Hear Me to the Papa of Jewish baseball. Uh, nice. uh, Nate Fish, uh, you know, our conversation with Nate happened uh, the other day. It was really great. Um, he took, he, we spoke to him from his home in the Catskills, um, where he's fresh off his uh, comedy tour, um, where he we we wanted to talk to him about Israeli politics, but we didn't quite get to. But it was it was a fascinating chat about the Israeli Citizenship Project, sort of some history of of teams he's played on, teams he's coached on, a little bit of personal history with the Cape Cod Baseball League, and sort of his hopes and dreams for uh, summer twenty twenty one. And also, we touched a little bit on the. Uh his his recent coaching gig with the savannah bananas uh a sort of alternative baseball team that's uh taking a new approach to baseball so hope you stick around for the interview with nate fish uh some really interesting things to touch on and a uh, really interesting guy to, to hear from all right we're here with nate fish the uh self-appointed i think king of jewish baseball nate how's it going good thanks for having me uh, is that a is that a divine title or is it like an ascendancy to the throne? This was uh, it was 2012, and a friend of mine called me the king of Jewish baseball. I'd been sort of in the mix with Israel baseball for a few years, and he just sort of threw it out there, and you know, like Howard Stern style, self appointed, and sort of sort of grew into it. Um, it was a prophecy. <laughs> That's great. So, Nate, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, um, what you're doing these days, and uh, what you have planning coming up in the next little while? Sure. 
Um, well, I'm Nate Fish. Um, been involved with uh, Israel baseball for uh, over 15 years now, ever since they tried to launch a professional baseball league in Israel in 2007, the first and only professional baseball league in the Middle East. Short, shortly um, lived. Short lived. Larry Barris um, from Boston tried to start a pro league there. Um, but that set a sort of a, a whole chain of events into motion. And several of us that were involved in that league are still involved um, now, including myself and Eric Holtz, who are both on the coaching staff. Holtz is actually managing the team and I'm coaching third base for the 2021 Olympics. So there's a lot that's happened between those two events, but uh, what could have been viewed as a failure in 2007 is sort of can be framed as a success because this, this community of people um, kind of got in the mix for Israel baseball that are still working on it. Um, so, you know, long and weird uh, path through baseball uh, from every level, uh, from coaching T-ball in New York City up to um, a couple of world baseball classics and professional baseball and college baseball and everything in between. So I'll let you guys kind of guide the conversation here, but that's a short introduction. Uh, absolutely. Um you know, you mentioned you're going to the to, to Team Israel, uh, going to the Olympics. Uh, so you were part of the World Baseball Classic, sort of that remarkable story we've seen. Um, you know, we hear about it in, in 2017, as well as Israel's sort of miracle run in the qualifying tournament last year. Um, two years tell, ago now. Two years ago now. Wow. I mean, la yeah, in the Olympic qualifying cycle. So uh, uh, tell us a little bit what, what that is about, sort of being part of this, this miracle team. Sure. I mean... So the story kind of starts, you got to back it up a little bit. So the first time we were invited to the World Baseball Classic was 2012. Right. Um, and that was a little bit surprising because you're talking about a country with a very small domestic baseball program with a low world ranking, but who gets invited to participate in sort of the best baseball tournament in the world because Major League Baseball runs the tournament and they recognize our ability based on the rules of the tournament to put together a really good team, basically. A lot right. of Jewish guys in, in, in pro baseball, big league guys, minor league guys, people scattered throughout, you know, ownership and front offices all over the league. And so we get that's the first time that this group of people, many of whom are still involved, kind of come together um, as a team to try and qualify. And we lose. I mean, that was that team was stacked. It was uh, Brad Osmus was managing. Mm -hmm. Gabe Kapler was our bench coach. Sean right. Green was DHing. Uh, Jock was uh, young, but playing playing outfield for us really, really on paper, the best team um, at the tournament. I think France, uh, South Africa, and Spain were the other teams. We basically had to win three games against teams that were not as good as us, um, on paper at least, not to take anything away from them. Um, and we would have made it to the World Baseball Classic. So this, we ended up losing to Spain in a really bizarre extra inning game um, in, the, in the finals of the qualifier. So it didn't start off as this, like, explosive like miracle we basically felt like we had like failed ourselves and the coaching staff and the country and sort of the whole jewish community that was like supporting the team that we knew we were sort of representing right um so it did not start off like this is a miracle it started off like a, as a disaster a little bit mm -hmm. um, and, and just to uh just to fill in the gaps maybe for some of our listeners um mm -hmm. at the t at the time for uh qualification for the team the only eligibility requirement i believe was you were you had to be eligible for citizenship of israel which basically meant anyone who was jewish 
based on the law of return at the time. And I, I know that's changed a little bit um, for the Olympics, but that's how you were able to assemble that team that was, you know, Sean Green, Brad Osmus, guys who are American mm-hmm. Jews, not, not Israeli born or anything like that. Um, but that was the first, uh, the first, the first, I guess, attempt at uh, making the world baseball classic. And then the, you know, the, the team did qualify in 2017 that I think qualification itself was, was, you know, an amazing thing. Like that was a surprise to the people who were involved, I think. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's called the, uh, the heritage rule. That's what made major league baseball. So for the world baseball classic, you don't have to be a citizen of the country you play for. You only have to be eligible for citizenship of that country. So all these guys were eligible by the nature of having at least one Jewish grandparent um, we're eligible to play for us. So we were able to assemble a good team. We luckily, you don't really know in these four years that passed between the tournaments, but we got invited to try and qualify again in 2016 in the fall for the 2017 world baseball classic. And we sort of got it right this time. Right. Um, many, many guys go ahead in Brooklyn ahead. of all places in Brooklyn, a virtual home game for us, <laughs> um, at, at MCU park. Um, against weirdly enough Pakistan Brazil <laughs> we didn't actually play Pakistan we played uh, but we did play Brazil and uh, Great Britain and won won the qualifier this time many of the same guys on the team guys that had like ex- really extended their careers past whatever they had imagined just to get this opportunity again to try and like get into the tournament um, so that's when the sort of, we kind of step yeah. in onto the world stage a little bit more. We get into the main tournament. We go to Korea the following spring during spring training. So March of 2017, um, now it's Korea and the Netherlands who people don't think of as a baseball country, but who had five, you know, big league shortstops on, mm-hmm. on one team, which was crazy. Um, Mr. Um, Jerickson Shofar himself. <laughs> yes. Well, because of the, the, uh, the players from the Dutch Antilles, mostly from Curacao yeah. and Aruba. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then we go on this crazy run. We win the first round in Korea. Uh, We win a million dollars in prize money. Um, We go to the second round in Japan. We beat Cuba in the first game. We lose in our second game to the Netherlands and then play Japan uh, sort of on their home field in the Tokyo Dome in front of like 55,000 people, which is really crazy. Winner of that game would go to the semifinals of the tournament in Dodger Stadium. We were tied going into the f- fifth, I think. Um, Josh Zide on the mound did a good job for the first few innings. We couldn't, like, hang on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up winning the game. We were eliminated. They go. But we finished, I think, when all the calculations are done, fifth in the world for that tournament. And now it's like, all right, like, we definitely over overachieved in, in, that, <laughs> right. in that tournament, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I remember I, I watched all the games, but I, I feel like I don't have a great memory of, of them because for us, it was like four in the morning uh, mm-hmm. waking up to watch those games in Korea and Japan. But, uh, and that led to the miracle run. I, you know, I, I just another one miracle run after another, I guess, of qualifying for the Olympics, winning the, um, I can't remember exactly what it was called now. It was sort of like a tournament designed just for Olympic qualification, but getting that spot, um, and you know, I, I think we were all really excited last year. And then of course COVID hit and pushed everything back, but, uh, you know, the bands back together, the teams being reassembled. And, uh, you mentioned off the air that, that you're going to, you're going to go to the training site soon to start training with the team in preparation mm-hmm. for the Olympics. Yeah, we start, uh, we leave for Arizona on Sunday, uh, for our first, first of several, of several training camps to try and That's get amazing. ready for, for July. Yeah. And, and most of the, most of the players on, sorry, go ahead. Gabe. Oh, I was going to say, we, we think of, of, you know, the, 
every Jewish kid has dreamed about how would a team of all Jewish players do? Like if you were to take a team of every Jewish player in the majors, you know, when I was a kid, it was Sean Green. And then, you know, a, a little bit later, Danny Valencia and those guys thinking like, oh, if they were together, the team would be so good. And now, you know, to some degree, it's a little hamstrung by the realities of major league play. You know, if a guy makes the majors, he, he may not be part of the team. So how do you guys deal with that when you're planning for the, the summer? Yeah, we just have uh, these extended rosters. So there's some guys on the bubble. So the rule is, all right, so to give you guys a little picture of, of uh, what international baseball is like, Major League Baseball runs the World Baseball Classic. The competing organization called the World Baseball and Softball Confederation runs the Olympics. Right. And so Major League Baseball players, anyone that's on the 40-man roster is not allowed to compete in the Olympics. I think they were trying to get to a deal where maybe they were going to let them, but it's, I don't think there's enough time or whatever. Mm. So 40-man roster guys cannot play in the Olympics. So as you're going through selecting, and we got a couple guys on the bubble, Ryan LaVarnway is going to catch for us is with the Indians. Mm-hmm. I think he's with, on the taxi squad right now. Right. Who knows? Chance Varno's in the big leagues. And good for him, bad for us kind of thing. <laughs> right. That's you sort know? of the, the flip side. I mean, it'd be great to get someone like, uh, you know, Jock Peterson or Alex Bragman, but, uh, you know, they have pretty steady, de- steady major league jobs that they, yeah. they tend to. Yeah. And even in the World Baseball Classic, I mean, asking a guy to leave spring training to go to Korea and sure. like totally take them out of their routine, turn their clocks upside down, be in a really competitive situation when they're not used to it in early March. It's like, you know, it takes some convincing when you're like constructing the rosters. Um, especially in this case, because like you guys were talking about leading up to the um, qualifying rounds throughout the summer of 2019, general management, now the dudes have to actually get passports. Right. Getting right. guys to Israel, convincing people not only to come play for your team, but to make Aliyah, you know, and, and being like, I promise you're not going to have to serve in the army. You know, <laughs> right. like it's crazy. So now everybody who's on the Olympic team or potentially on the Olympic team has to be an Israeli citizen yes. and yeah. it has to, you know, have gone through the whole, the whole process, as, as you mentioned. Yeah. I, I, Spend time in Israel, get citizenship. It's no joke. You know, it's a huge mm-hmm. commitment. So it is sort of like a two way street. I mean, in, in one way, you know, it's, it's the, the baseball is using Israel as a way to grow the game internationally and create more of a, an international fan base and stuff like that. But another way Israel has sort of been able to use baseball to, you know, get on the world stage in this, in this different way and, and, you know, get a few, a few more citizens. I, I don't know if that's the end goal, but uh, it's interesting to see it work both ways. For sure. I mean, to see, you know, a baseball pretty low profile in Israel, but within the American Jewish community, it's, you, what you could probably call the most Jewish sport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking, again, we were talking sort of offline before maybe hockey has, has baseball, but historically baseball is like kind of Jewish. Like there's like Absolutely. always like about a dozen big league guys and fans and there's some and identification big in, in New York and LA is I think right. a big part of that is, you know, you sort of identify a lot of major teams with famous Jewish players or fans, you know, Sandy Koufax being a, a great example for the start of the Los Angeles Dodgers, you know, like LA is a fairly Jewish city and the Dodgers I think are pretty big in Jewish culture there as an example. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And so Israel baseball, despite having not a huge presence in culturally in Israel has been able to tap into the American Jewish community. And it works as this sort of bridge, like you guys were saying, Israel, is glad obviously to have a team in the Olympics for the first time in like 40 years, you know, even though many of them are 
American in a, in right. a sense, even though yeah. we're all we all have passports as well. And we should say this is the first time baseball is returning to the Olympics. Um, I can't remember exactly when it was when it was last held, but it must have been like 2004, 2008. It, it, it's been a while that baseball was out of the Olympics and it's a small tournament. I mean, it's only six teams. Right. So. So there's a there's not a bad chance for Israel to you know to make a real run at it and potentially medal. I think that would be you know the real cherry on cherry on top of this this as you say like 15 year almost odyssey now of, of, of developing Israel baseball. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a well not to interrupt, but I think it's a it's a very big you know Israel's the final six like you said they came in fifth they're in the top five again. Yeah, that's true. Um, Nate, I, we want to talk to you about about something else you've been doing, uh, which is coaching with a uh, I, I don't know if minor league is the right term or, or collegiate collegiate league uh, team called the Savannah Bananas. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so they historically have been a collegiate team. They're, they play in the CPL, the Coastal Plains League. So they have a, uh, a summer league team that a friend of mine named Tyler Gillum manages. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have this very highly entertaining brand. You know, the music is playing throughout games. There's performances. It's kind of like the minor league baseball model, just like ratcheted up a lot. Right. Like the stuff that's going on between innings is a little crazier. They have the two Star Wars days. Louder. Yeah. The, <laughs> and so they sell out. They have like 30 home games a year and they sell out every single home game. Wow. And they've built up this like, I think over five or six years with the college team, they've built up this crazy fan base. People all over the world are buying Savannah Bananas merch and yellow. Uh, Jesse Cole, the owner, is sort of this crazy entrepreneur, wears a yellow tuxedo every day, just like ga- gas pedal all Savannah Bananas all day, every day. Um, and they've really grown into like a pretty big company. So Jesse's big next crazy idea was since the college team is such a success, let's launch a pro team. Right. And let's take it even further. Let's be like the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball. Let's change rules. We're not even playing in a league anymore. We can do whatever we want. You know, Major League Baseball is sort of playing with uh, pitch clocks and uh, a few rules to try and speed the game up. But this is like way on steroids. Like no one's supervising us. We can do whatever we want. Let's make games two hours. The fans catch foul balls. You're out. So there's these nine (laughs) fundamental rule changes. You can steal first base. It's real crazy. And the entertainment is ratcheted up even more and more and more and more. You know, there's a band playing. It's just, it's like a circus. Yeah. I mean, Major League Baseball's, you know, playing with the rules a little bit and like, just like such a around the edges way. Like, what if we make first base just, you know, a few inches wider? Or what if we move the pitcher's mound back six inches? And uh, a banana ball, as, as I believe it's it's been called, is sort of like, let's throw out the whole thing and, and redesign baseball. You know, I would say it's still baseball in the sense that it's it's like, you know, four, four bases and it's a diamond and there's fielders where there's supposed to be fielders and a pitcher throws the ball. But beyond that, it's sort of like they change the rules of scoring and all that I, I i see that the um like you win each inning is sort of like win or lose and if the home team or whoever's batting in the in the home half of the inning like scores more runs than the winning than the away team did the inning's over let's move on and i know there's a time limit and uh yeah you can steal first and you know all these other crazy things that you know it sort of seems like um it's just fun. It's just fun to see the experiment of it. You know, that there's all these different changes that lead to different outcomes. Like as much as, you know, we all love baseball and I'm not suggesting that, you know, there's anything wrong with baseball per se, but um, you sort of have an understanding of how baseball plays out most of the time. You know, it was a certain situation, a certain man's on deck or a certain man's on base. It's like, you know, what's going to be called for, you know, the, 
the sort of uh, motions here and this sort of just turns it on its head. So was it, uh, you, you, you'd been there this spring. That's, that's right. To coach with the team. Yeah. So, so Jesse called me, asked me if I wanted to manage the team, went down there in February for tryouts. Um, mixed bagger guys were there guys with, you know, high level, some pro experience guys that were just randomly wanted to come to try and wear stilts and try out for this, like <laughs> this, like circusy baseball team. We picked two teams the same way the Globetrotters also have mm-hmm. their opponents, the Washington right. Senators, Generals, Generals, Washington Generals. We also had the party animals. So we picked two teams, kind of like the villain and the hero. Okay. And we could do like a little barnstorming thing that's going to continue to go and continue to expand, I think, to more and more cities next, next summer. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm the head guy. I, I, you're sort of used to being like a baseball coach. You're like, how are we going to prep? Let's do this. Let me design the practice this way. And at some point right. I was like, no one, no <laughs> one cares. Like they're here for the circus, you know? Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so internally, I want to give the guys good information and good workouts because there's value for the players there. But really, like it was so not about winning and losing. Um, you know, the fans, one of the craziest things about it is uh, the fans are like lined up around the stadium at 530, an hour and a half before game time when the gates open. And we go out there, the gates open, the fans come in, the band is playing and they're just like they're totally there for the show. No one leaves. I mean, mm-hmm. it works. It really, 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 really works. It's sort of a crazy idea, um, but they've built up a big enough fan base that, you know, they sell out every game and it's it's just nuts. Yeah, one thing I found I found amazing uh, reading an interview with Jesse was he, he was talking about how basically nobody leaves during the game, which, you know, I've always thought is sort of, um, I, I guess, a challenge baseball has. And, and, you know, again, I've left games early. It's not that I haven't, especially when I've had season tickets and in, in a, in a team that wasn't hit, playing 500 baseball. There's games where you want to where you want to get out of there and, and you know um, stop. I, I think my father has been to over a thousand baseball games in his life and never seen the ninth inning. <laughs> right, but that is sort of a unique problem about baseball that there's no, not necessarily a reason to stick around. But it sounds like between all the entertainment and the rule changes, there's a there's a real fan environment that just makes it makes it fun throughout throughout the game, no matter what. Yeah, I mean the games are two hours too, so you right. know when it's going to end. In a baseball game, you're like, I have no idea. This could this could go on for a while but mm-hmm. you know games are two hours goes into this thing called the tiebreaker that maybe takes 20 minutes um and then you're out of there so you, you have this like you kind of like see the light at the end of the tunnel um and so people stick around for the whole thing you know i don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with baseball either i actually kind of think that major league baseball shouldn't be tinkering too much mm-hmm. uh, but something like that what what jesse's doing is is cool because you're not tinkering you're 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 like really moving the line a lot and it's sort of this testing ground for stuff, you know, that, that may or may not impact like the mainstream of baseball. I, I really don't know, but it get, they make a lot of noise in the media. That's for sure. I wonder when the first banana will make the majors. I mean, you've got stories of guys playing at the Harlem Globetrotters who, you know, after tryout, after tryout and, and, you know, struggle for a while, end up breaking through. I'm, I think it's only a matter of time before somebody from one of those, you know, you hear about independent ball guys coming on, why not the bananas? Uh, and that's going to be a really unique experience, I think, or a unique story. And I think it's almost kind of a Jewish one where you get in your own way instead of from the traditional way, which is a very, I think, a very Jewish attitude towards rules. Yeah. I mean, it'd be cool the, to see uh, if, if somebody, uh, somebody gets spotted hustling to first, trying to steal first base. And that's where they get scared about it. <laughs> and, and the branch Ricky of the Savannah Bananas goes, I'm hiring that guy. Yeah. 
I mean, we had a couple of guys that could really run and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of shake up, shake up in minor league and independent pro baseball recently. And there's guys everywhere, man. Um, guys that are playing indie ball or in the big leagues in September and get back down to getting released and looking for jobs. And it's a crazy, really crazy scene. So, you know, there's no reason that something like that couldn't happen. And, uh, uh, you know, speaking of, of sort of non non major league baseball, and I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, if uh, I want to talk about your time in the Cape Cod league, um, you're wearing a Cape Cod league shirt now, you know, I, I am the child of, of, you know, New Yorkers and spent, you know, almost every summer of my life going to Cape Cod here. And then, you know, I, I've got great memories of, of Cape Cod baseball. And I feel that that's like the most traditional baseball you can imagine, you know, no scoreboard, like no screens, the games are free, like brick walls in the outfield. Uh, uh, and it's, it's a totally different experience. So I'm curious to know, uh, has there been any sort of Judaism that's come into play with that in your life? I mean, Scott Pickler, our head coach that I was with for two years, pick is Jewish and his kid is Jewish and his kid is a baseball coach and his kid is a big league baseball coach. Oh, that's awesome. And that was, that was in Yarmouth. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Scott Pickler has been the head guy at Yarmouth for 22, 23 years. He's won six championships. He's just like, you know, legend. Uh, He was inducted into the, the uh, American baseball coaches association hall of fame a couple of years ago, just a real legend college Cape Cod guy. And his son who played, I think in triple a is, is a big league coach with the reds, Jeff Pickler. I think that's, Um, yeah. I think nowadays there's the most coaches in the majors that are Jews that then, then there's ever been. I mean, you know, between Osmus and Melvin and I mean, Pickler is not the head coach, but he's close if you're, you know, um, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's a interesting legacy that, that we now have sort of in the management side. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's great. I just, I want to share one memory. I think it was 08. I remember going to uh, Yarmouth Dennis versus, uh, Orleans playoff game. I don't know if you would have been there at that time, but I've looked it up. I don't think we saw Chris Sale, but he was on the team that year. I mean, if you look at, at YDs, there's there's so many guys, so many big league dudes on the field at any Cape League game. It's yep. crazy. It's like, amazing. Buster Posey was catching sales on the mound. Um, Turner. Uh, I mean, there's dudes that are sitting on the bench that are going to go to the big leagues. They yeah, aren't he- even in the lineup. You know what I mean? It, it's just, it's nuts. There's so much talent in that league. I was at a game, I think it was in 2019, where, you know, it was after we had started this podcast and I'm scanning both the lists for any Jewish sounding names on the little, you know, they hand you a, a physical, a printed lineup, lineup card on like printer paper. It's the most amazing thing. And I'm like, oh, Mike Rotherman, that guy, he's one of us. There you go. Like my parents, man, watching the credits <laughs> of a movie, just scanning the screen for a Jewish name. Exactly. That's a, lot, that's a lot of what we do uh, recently. Watching the NFL draft was just like, ah, you know, this guy's first name is Israel. And I'm going to look him up and absolutely he's Nigerian. But, you know, still, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. it's fun to know. Yeah. Um, one day we'll get a we'll get a Jew named Israel in the NFL. That, that would hey, be something. I, my middle name is Israel. Oh, oh, there you go. There you go. I'm not in the NFL, though. <laughs> but you are I, a coach. I, I, yeah. I, when you were when you were working in the Cape Cod League, was your name Nate Yarmouth Dennis Fish? that's uh uh it's it's you know it's great to talk to you about this and i really we really appreciate the time um you know we're we're sort of running low on time here for the show but i want to ask you a couple of things is there anyone 
any Jewish players you think uh, in baseball that our, our audience should watch out for both on the uh, Olympic team and who they might see in the majors this year? Um, I mean, there's been this huge sort of spider web of connections now um, from being with Team Israel for so long of guys that have made it to the big leagues for a little bit or have had long careers now or maybe you're kind of rooting for. And, you know, you turn a game on and you see someone here um, and someone there. Tyler Krieger, who was with us in 2017, probably just broke minor league camp, probably triple A with the Indians. He may he may be up and someone that we could look for. Um, Dean Kramer's off to a big start. Dean, I have a funny Dean Kramer story real quick. I know <laughs> we're, we're running low. So I Please. met Dean when he, when he was 14 years old wow. and he was small and he came to one of our practices in Israel and the guy who was coaching the team, Pat Doyle, goes, hey, this is Dean. He lives in California. Not going to be a pro guy or anything. Loves baseball. Little outfielder. Play JV this year. That's it. We're kind of like, all right, scram, kid. We got to get back to practice. I mean, we talked to him for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I would see him over the years periodically. Um, I ended up coaching him in, in 2013 for the Maccabee Games. I ended up being his teammate for in the European Championships when he was playing in college. And I've just been watching him just grow and get better and better and better and better. And now he's in the big leagues with the Orioles. And so, I mean, he's, he, he's one of my favorite guys. He's such a good kid. That's great. Well, and we a lot of Jews in luck. Baltimore too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Nate, uh, we're going to have to uh, end it there just because we are running out of time here, but good luck with everything at training camp. Um, you know, good luck with everything this summer. Obviously we're rooting hard for team Israel at the, at the Tokyo Olympics. And, you know, we, we're, we're really proud of you guys and, and we know you're going to be great. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again to Nate Fish for joining us. Um, Gabe, off the air, we were, we were talking a little bit about this uh, Kentucky Derby scandal. Do you think, um, is horse racing a Jewish sport or not a Jewish sport, would you say? I, do we know what year Jews were allowed into the Kentucky Derby? Oh, good I question. We need to look into recent. that. I, yeah, I, I, bet, I, I bet it is. There was a, a Jewish the jockey. Year pro- the year probably starts with a two. <laughs> I don't think it starts with a two. But I think it starts with one nine and then a number higher than five. I'm going to say <laughs> like it wasn't 1912, you know, but was it 19? If you found out it was like 1974, you'd be like, wow, well, you know, kind of that's how it is sometimes. I you bet you that, that, you know, I don't know much about the history of modern North American Jewish wealth, but I bet from what I do know that while, you know, Horse racing, like the the operation and ownership of horse racing was probably not particularly Jewish, even though the like rigging and fixing and manipulation of horse racing probably was Jewish for a while. Like I bet, you know, your Arnold Rothsteins and your your Bugsy Siegels probably had a finger or two inside a horse. Yeah, I think so. I, I would I would say horse racing, I think of as Jewish just because like most horse racing has probably been at like, you know, like the Belmont or or like lower class, like east coast horse racing uh, yeah, venues and like has been fixed by by jews at various points um i know um uh, ahmed zayat who who was the guy who owned american pharaoh uh which won the triple crown a couple years ago he is like a enigmatic figure who i think both identifies as jewish and muslim um i'm not sure exactly what his background is but... i mean the debate over whether the pharaoh was jewish or muslim has been going on for a long time so <laughs> sure the ownership of such is it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but he like he like went to Yeshiva University, but also like you know was the scion of like uh, 
Arab Egyptian intellectuals and like he sort of identifies, but anyways, he, he's the sort of, so he would be an American Pharaoh. Was that sort of referring to himself? I I don't know if it was, I I think, you know, all these horse names are like, you look at the lineage and it's like, they're, it's like, well, his dad was, was like, you know, his sire was this, exactly. His sire was by this. And, and, but, you know, I would love to one day see a Kentucky Derby, uh, you know, uh, like a Kentucky Derby winner or horse that has like a really Yiddish name. Yeah. That'd be like, nice. Yeah. Like, Oh, uh, you know, the Kentucky Derby this year was won by Stickle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Stickle, uh, uh, beat out, I don't know, schmutz, you know, very, yeah. very quickly. Okay. So there's our, there's our pronouncement on the issue. Horse racing, uh, officially we're going to call it a, a Jewish sport. Not the, not the higher brow elements of it necessarily, but, uh, we're going to call it a Jewish sports. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to do some judgment on, on other types of racing at another time. Um, until <laughs> until then, uh, and we, when we investigate the uh, the entree of Jews to the Kentucky Derby, um, you know you can catch up with our podcasts. You can find them all at the CJN.ca, the new uh, beautiful revamped website for the Canadian Jewish News, um, mm-hmm. where you can find our podcasts and our archives and all of our sister and brother podcasts. Uh, thanks again for all your comments and all your messages. Uh, we're excited to continue following Team Israel so they get closer and closer to uh, the Tokyo Olympics. Yeah, see you next time. Have a have a cheesy Shavuot, everybody.